Hey, Irenicast listeners, before you start the show, we want to remind you about our next Intersections cohort coming up in February. We know that so often there are very few places to deconstruct and reconstruct with others in a safe and supportive environment. We believe that Intersections offers a space for you to come as you are and to offer what you can. We are hoping to lean into our adventuring imaginations together for six weeks to listen, to share, to heal, and to continue the journey forward together. We hope you will consider joining us. Our winner 2022 cohort is Thursdays, February 3rd through March 10th at 7 p.m. Pacific time on Zoom. Space is limited, so register today on our Intersections website, theintersections.space, or use the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are Irenicast, a group of folks leaning into our progressive Christian imagination. I'm Jeff. I'm Bonnie. I'm Casey. And this is Rajiv. On the first and third Tuesday of every month, we provoke conversations for shifting perspectives. On theology and culture. Thank you for joining us. This week, this is our annual Christmas episode. So naturally, we're going to be talking about virginity, uh, as one does during the holidays. <laughs> uh, and for our segment, we're going to be doing a new one called Yuck or Yum. And basically, we're going to defend something that we love that others might think are kind of gross. So that should be fun. Um, so yeah, uh, virginity. I thought a lot about how I was going to start this conversation, and uh, I don't know. Um, but we'll start with just the basic. Is Obviously, we're talking virginity during a Christmas episode because the central narrative of the Christmas story is the virgin birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I guess we can start with the basic question of why was it so important for the narrative to include Mary's virginity in the whole whole deal. Yeah, let's start there. Who wants to speak to that? Well, I don't think in the original storytelling they're talking about Mary being a sexless person. That isn't how virginity in that context was understood. Virginity was about pureness, earnestness, like somebody who's venerated, bringing forth life that would do great things. I mean, that Mary is in the storytelling a very important archetype of women who bring forth leaders, prophets, saviors. And I don't think anyone in the ancient world thought that Mary was a non-sexual or not sexually active as a being. That's something us modern people in our idiocy decided to superimpose on a really beautiful characteristic that's much fuller than a simple act. Bonnie, I'm curious. You gave a, a half nod, like a nod, like, eh, that's sort of correct, but... So I'm curious if you would uh, interpret that, please. <laughs> well, I mean, from remembering my study of Christian history, and I'm not a, a Christian theolo- or Christian historian, I'm more of a theologian, but 
I think it was Augustine who came up with this idea that you put sin and sex together, like the original sin of Adam and Eve in the garden even was somehow connected to Eve as a temptress and then Adam as one who succumbed to Eve's temptation and they had sex and that was the original sin. And therefore, every sex act from there, there on was somehow connected to, to sinfulness. Um, I think that's an oversimplification for sure. But yes, I, in that way, I think you're absolutely right. You know, what Rajiv said is, is true, that when the story originated, I had heard that the word for virgin, that's translated virgin in English, in Greek really means more like maiden, like unmarried one, not necessarily one who hadn't had one who didn't have a sexuality, but one who was not part of a patriarchal household yet. So maybe in that way, the Savior's origin coming from not within a patriarchal household, but from within Mary's self is a for sure a pagan archetype like a Jungian archetype for this new leader to be something wholly different. Sojourner Truth really builds on that truth of the story, which is man had nothing to do with Jesus. Mary was an independent entity in conspiracy, in, as it could be articulated, with God to bring forth something that the human race needed. Because males already had their chance and couldn't do it. But, you know, Jesus is male, blah, blah, blah. Boy, we're really getting off the topic. Sorry about that. No, I think that I think these are important things because we've all we've all been given a very specific narrative on why Mary's virginity was important to the story. And I think that trying to piece together the different things that we've heard over the years that either confirm or con contradict that are, are important because it does, you know, and I, I'm sure as the conversation goes on, it's going to be something that directly ties into uh, purity culture, uh, a woman's perceived role in the, the Christian church. You know, I think it's important for us to kind of tackle all these myths and narratives and really kind of come to the heart of not necessarily the answer because there's not an answer, right? Like we're, we're trying to, to reflect, you know, and settle into a progressive Christian view of these things and how we can look at those things without the, I know for us specifically, the baggage of evangelicalism, but even just the cultural baggage that goes along with that. Because to say that purity culture and uh, a woman's role is regulated to evangelicalism and not America as a whole is <laughs> not, you know, is, is sidestepping and, and being ignorant of the world around us, I think. Mm -hmm. I keep thinking of Inigo Montoya from Princess Bride. He's like, I don't think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> <laughs> and in this case, yeah, I mean, Mary's virginity is actually a very powerful construct, but it doesn't mean non-sexual at all. It that the idea of maiden is there, and that's that's a very powerful pro-woman place to hold in society, and then doing something great without 
patriarchy being part of her support structure. Right. And um, I think that that's an important point. Like when I, my, the, the primary lens that I approach scripture from is a literary one. And I think that when you just look at the story structure of the gospels and Mary's place in it and Joseph's lack of place in it, that says a lot about how Mary is supposed to be interpreted in the story as someone who has, you know, even during the wedding, someone who has authority over the savior of the world. And that's a really important part of that story. So therefore, it's not an accident that the story is placing Mary in a spot of importance that is not related to her virginity, but related to her existence as a woman in that particular setting of the world. Yes. And I mean, that's the that's the crime, right, of evangelical Christianity. And I mean, not just, but all of Christianities, a lot of Christianities across the world and certainly in the United States that that place, Mary's place, was disempowered. And um, she was then portrayed as like a submissive, gentle, meek, mild person. But if you read the Gospel of Luke, which is really where the story comes from, she travels by herself, unmarried, to go see her cousin, Elizabeth. She draws support from other women in her life to, you know, like the momentous occasion that is about to happen, the birth of the Savior, is all on her shoulders entirely. And so where does she go for support to help her carry that, shoulder that burden? It's to her sister, sister cousin, you know, who's also pregnant with a, a support in Jesus's life, John. And they find support from each other. And then, you know, there's this Magnificat, which is a bold and powerful statement about her vision for the world, then embodied in Jesus, the the Christ figure that's born um, from her body and and God's spirit. You know, that's that's the story. That's the, the literary interpretation of the story. To have that story turned in such a way, and it took a it took a lot of work to turn that story into Mary being a submissive, meek, and mild servant of patriarchal structure. Even a cursory read of it tells you that that's not the case at all. And if if you're not familiar with the Magnificat, it's the most revolutionary passage in the Bible. <laughs> and just Google it, read it, and that's Mary. It's left out of most Christian church liturgies, even though uh, Christmas liturgies and Christmas services, even though it is <laughs> is one of the most powerful Christmas passages in the Bible. Yeah, I think that that for me, it speaks to this whole thing around like God knowing if you want to get something done, you have a woman do it. You know, you, you partner with a woman because she'll actually get stuff done. She knows the way. This is step. This is like step one the best example. But I was going to go to the Magnificat also. Mary's vision for the world, uh, partnering with God, and its manifestation is Jesus, right? I mean, there is nothing more powerful and profound than that. And what is so frustrating about this story and so frustrating about um, Christianity is that it does to the story what it does to women in general. It strips them of their voice, their agency, and leaves them to be docile and only a a character 
in the story and not the central theme. And so I think that this whole idea around virginity speaks to all of the issues of patriarchy around power and agency and the silencing of other voices other than men. It's a shame because this story is actually about women's empowerment. And if you really want to see it get done in the world and done well, have a woman do it, honey. Right. And, and you know, piggybacking off the Magnificat specifically, like it is not something that is brand new either. It is is borrowing from the Hebrew scripture tradition of the Song of Hannah, which that story in particular, you read that it is a challenging and a usurping of, you know, institutional leadership, dismissing women and how that can prevent a good leader from rising up. And I think that there's uh, a lot there. You know, I think a lot of people particularly from the more right-leaning, they tend to really dismiss and, uh, you know, the patriarchy becomes a trigger word for them. But, I mean, the literary structure of this and the literary allusions to the Hebrew scriptures are undeniable that this is a the central theme of what is trying to be communicated through this story and this poem. Yes. And, and, that, and that virginity, that, that in the story was an inspiration for women, at least European women in the Middle Ages, to refuse to get married. They, they remained virgins because um, we, if you listen to the last ep- episode, you heard something about kibbles and bits. <laughs> so in this episode, <laughs> we are going to talk about menstruation. A menstruating woman who is able to provide children for a patriarchal household has to be controlled, has to be owned, has to be property. And for these women to say, oh, no, I'm going to remain a virgin. I'm not, I'm, I'm going to be married to Christ. That was an act of resistance and, uh, and revolution that, uh, I mean, they were, they were martyred. They were they had their breasts cut off in the public square, according to the stories, because they couldn't, you know, the the powers that be could not abide that women making up their own decisions about what was going to happen with their bodies. On the one side, we can we can look at the story and say there's so much shame in the story because of the virginity of Mary and attach that to, to purity culture. But if we really want to liberate the story, I think we have to see how virginity in the story and the way it played out even in Christian history could be, in a patriarchal structure, an act of empowerment. And so that we don't perpetuate, you know, in the, in the storytelling, perpetuate the same patriarchy by bashing the story. It's it's an interesting study, actually, to to look into the virgin martyrs of the Middle Ages and the kinds of things that they went through. Just who they were as people were diminished or they tried to diminish it in the public square. How much resolve and courage they had to resist the institution of marriage. That's amazing. And to do it in the name of Christianity, in the name of Christ. Which is the reason why I can be a Christian as a woman, because I really think that fundamentally at its core, it's a liberative religion and tradition. It's just been so, so co-opted and so manipulated to serve 
powers that are frankly, you know, in my mind anyways, demonic and evil powers, but at its core, at its heart is Mary, who's pregnant with this new vision. And that new vision includes me as a woman. Can we like stop the episode here? I mean, for real, that is the truth that Mary is pregnant with a new vision. And that vision is a liberation for all people, right? The expansion of, of love in the world that does not see any boxes, any walls set, right? But all things brought down so that we are on an equal playing field, that we might see one another and love each other and work for a brighter future. These are the causes that, you're right, Bonnie, that make me still sometimes chokingly say I'm a Christian, like gagging, but but it's true. Because of Mary's vision, because of her purpose, that's beautiful. And Jesus didn't get married. That's right. And we don't know exactly what that's about. We certainly know it was it was not part of of what you know was expected of him as a, as I know, a man, people get a Jewish mad. man. People yeah. get mad, but he did hang out with twelve men, honey. He did. I and mean, that and, wedding yeah. at Cana. You better check it out. <laughs> right? Who's getting married at that wedding at Cana? But that's a whole other thing. He did not himself enter into a patriarchal um, relationship. That's right. Which was the culture of his time, and that would have been expected of him. You know, <laughs> most of the mothers would have would have assumed that their son would be married and begin to have children. Apparently, Mary wasn't pushing that on him. That's right. We never read, um, we never read any of that, right? Right. So he was also, in many ways, enacting this radical liberation by refusing to participate in particular structures. And I know that like some of that is passed on. Like We see evidence of it in Paul's writings and in other early Christian writings about not being part of this institution, part of this familial institution, that it's better to not participate in it. And there's reasons that are listed for why it's good or why, or why it's not good. Um, but it's interesting to me. You know, it's interesting to me that in the early church, they lived differently than the culture around them when it comes to those patriarchal systems. Well, I mean, the act of sex itself, in order for it to be anything other than sinister, and even within the marriage confines, it's pretty sinister because women are, are property. But, you know, there's there's prostitution, there's human trafficking, there's, you know, so the, the, the move away from that wasn't necessarily because of prudishness. It might have actually been an enlightened perspective that um sex by and large was an act of subjugation not necessarily an act of mutuality and pleasure and really it's it's our queer brothers and sisters and siblings who've saved marriage at least for me because now it, now marriage has been queered otherwise i would just say let's just flush the whole thing down the toilet you know, why do we need marriage in the first place, given given how um, corrupt it is as a system? But now we can think of marriage in lots of different ways. And that's good news. 
Amen to that, honey. Yeah, that's right. I mean, with all that, how does how does that change then? So when we when we enter into the Christmas and Advent season as progressive Christians, when we hear this narrative again, when we see the nativity, how do we now re-communicate that in a new way? And, you know, in a sense, I guess, compared to our background, reclaim it in a way. I was just going to ask, I would love to hear from you three men, <laughs> the three wise men that I get to be in, in this podcast with. <laughs> um, how how does it change for you? Like how, how, you know, there's Joseph is in the story in a, in a lesser place in the story. So like, where do you find yourselves in that story? Yeah, I, I, I have been, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, meditating on it, praying on it, con conversing about it for, for many years. And there's so many layers. One is it was an extremely important I experienced a revival of Mary and this story, or a renewal, as it relates to the sacred feminine, and and seeing her very, very differently in the way the story should be told, very differently, which then allows me to see Joseph very differently, uh, allows and invites me to see Joseph very differently, in that um, you know we talk about male-female relationships in whatever construct, marriage, parent-child, sibling, whatever it is, as somehow equal, but we're still different. I grew up hearing that where it's like, we're equal, but we're different with the subtext of, you know, men are still better, boys are still better. Now the kind of the, the, the equality thing is very much important, but the different part is like, there are things that the sacred feminine that women bring into possibility that the masculine, that the maleness just cannot. But, you know, Joseph, he's not in, he's not, you know, he's not left behind, which is an important thread. You know, women aren't trying to get rid of men. Women have a, a an important place. I mean, really the pinnacle of divine enlightenment <laughs> visioning, all the rest is there and 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 men kind of have this important supporting role. You know, the story isn't about us. The breakthroughs aren't about us, but we benefit from them. Being alongside, taking care of tasks, not that women can't take care of those same tasks, but while you're around be useful. That's a really different way of approaching the story and approaching gender relationships um, mo moving forward. And, and it's led to, to some, you know, some very disorienting processes for me because it's not at all how I was raised to be. And I'm not sure this makes sense to anybody unless you've had these same internal <laughs> struggles and tug of wars. I think for me the 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 feminine presence was never was never something I struggled with. I mean, I was raised by women, so women have always been authority in my life. And you know, Joseph not being in the picture, I didn't have a dad in the picture, so I was like, you know, that's par for the course. I I could relate 
<laughs> to that. Uh, but I think that the narrative was always surrounded around, for me, from a theological perspective, was that Mary needed to be a virgin to break the Adam line and start a new line from God who who is male. So it was always, for me, centered around God's perfect maleness as opposed to Adam's broken maleness and Mary simply being a vessel for that. So the, the, the shift comes in, number one, my ideas of, of who God is and then what salvation is and what Jesus's role was in all that. And then leaving space for, oh, there's all these other things that are happening right now that aren't about Jesus, that are about the setting that Jesus enters and just reading, again, going back to what we talked about in the beginning, just reading the surface of the, the accounts and then rereading them, it is undeniable that a feminine presence is the building blocks of that setting. I know that just became easy to, to, to fall into and accept because I, I could relate. Yeah, I would agree with that, Jeff, around, you know, um, women just always playing that major piece of my life. And so that was never the thing for me. I think for me, it goes back to sort of what we were talking about earlier about the destruction of these systems of needing maleness in any form to bring forth newness, new vision, new purpose, whatever. For me, I focus on that a lot because with this means all the expectations, all of the status quo, all of the boxes we are to fit into are destroyed. They are broken. There is a messiness to birth. There is a messiness to the pains of birth. You know, like we sing Silent Night as if Mary is just like, ah, having a baby. But from what I've heard, honey, it's not nothing like that. And so um, I think that there's a major invitation and this idea that, that not only does God trust us and mostly trust women, but that the new plans and the new visions in which we are to bring forth with God will always be messy, will always uh, bring forth pain and struggle. And I think that that's important for us to, to always keep before us as we continue in this conversation around what does this mean for us into the future, that is something that we always have to hold on to. That when we are partnering with the divine, when we are in partnership, you can bet that whatever we are to move into is going to come with some pain. And yet we are trusted. Yeah. And you know, those, those sacramental elements of water and blood, Yeah, they're present in the birth long right. before the last supper. That's right. But that's not part of the story often. We we go right to you know, the end of Jesus's life when we think of those sacramental elements rather than the very beginning of his life, which is in that the struggle of his mother giving birth and entrance into the world from the womb through water and blood. That's how it happens. It's very messy. But you know what's interesting is often when you talk about it this in this way, there's like this ickiness factor, like this, there's shame around it. There's shame around bleeding and for women and there's shame around 
birth. Like, you know, it has to happen in these sterile rooms attended to by the sterile medical professionals. And even though, yes, we've come a ways in more modern times towards, uh, you know, trying to maybe bring forward some of the more ancient practices around birth with midwives and doulas. And we still, we're still, um, as women, rarely talk about these things, (laughs) which is an essential part of every human being's existence. But but have we really come that far? Like within Christianity, we revel in the violence of Jesus's death on the cross. And then they pierce aside blood and water flow. And we're fine with that. We, we practically bathe in that. We sing, we sing songs. We sing songs about blood. You know, we're not singing songs about Mary's, you know, vagina, you know, but, but we are. And I I read something and I I wish I remembered where, so I could put it in the show notes. Maybe I'll try to find it, but it was, it was a commentary from a a feminist lens and it was talking about how the, the, the symbolism of, you know, a, a cut to the side of Jesus in his side is reminiscent of a vagina and the water and blood flowing and Mm -hmm. talking about how that, that can be interpreted as an allusion towards, towards birth. But why when we have a birth story already there ready to go right right the the sacramental i mean there is no more sacramental essence than the birth waters and the birth blood you know that that's that is the the essence of creation um did, did you ever see patch adams of course i think so there we didn't? It, it was an it was okay movie it's pretty <sighs> like whatever Okay, and some people love it. Like it's 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 held in high regard by some, of course. But there's a scene where he's giving a tour to doctors in a, the gynecological building or whatever, and he creates two legs at the entrance of the door, and then you know comes out from the door between the legs. And I'm thinking, why can't that be an Advent decoration for a church? Exactly. It's just so amazing to have this conversation with men because this is usually it feels like it's like talk that has to be segregated somehow but to have the christmas conversation include you know men's menstrual blood and sex all of these things that uh, are part of how we come into the world forget virginity like who that that's just a like why are we focused on that let's talk about let's talk about birth the flesh and blood um, experience of giving birth and the flesh and blood experience of holding a baby for the first time, the experience of realizing the weight that's on the shoulder of those who choose to parent in what, whichever form they choose to parent, whether it's through adoption or through um, you know, fostering a child or through actually having a biological, having a biological child, whatever it is. That is the Christmas story, you know, right there. That's the message. And to to diminish all of that into like the story of Mary had to be a virgin in order so that we could start this new line or whatever, or so that she could be pure enough to hold God in her. Like that is so not the point of the story ever. I don't know. This Advent and Christmas, I hope we we bloody it up a bit <laughs> in in the most creative and beautiful way yeah i mean the the level of ludicrousness of of that should you know 
help us maybe understand with the shake of the head how somebody can lose an election and say they won. You know, it it it's it's you know to be able to do that sort of mental absurdity to believe in mental absurdities, logical fallacies, and so on and so forth. This is in the mix of just that's ludicrous. That's a completely ludicrous narrative, and it's fueled so much, and it's still part of the mainstream thinking and teaching and preaching. And so I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're doing a little bit to make some cracks, and hopefully anybody who's who's thinking about doing some preaching this Advent and Christmas season start talking about blood and birth and watch Call the Midwife. <laughs> Christmas viewing recommendations from Rajiv. You know, we've really missed the boat on a lot of potential meaningful celebrations around this time of year or just in general. I mean, obviously we can go through, you know, we talk about all the time that, uh, Centering the male narrative does everyone a disservice. It does the church a disservice. It does males a disservice. It does everyone a disservice. And how and you know coming up with new ways to create. You know why why did we stop? Like we it's like we have the sacraments and we we haven't become clever enough or motivated enough to come up with new. Yeah yeah we get it. The the bread and the blood of Jesus. Like there's got to be more than that. Oh we'll throw in baptism. We'll give you some some water too. But it's it's really astounding how our our ritual is so intertwined with the biblical narrative and we haven't given ourselves the space to incorporate our current life into sacraments that we have exactly because most of the rest of our life is rooted in shame we we have lacked the ability to give people language to celebrate moments of their lives or at least process moments of their lives that that are transformational we have no right by right i mean like um like a right an act when you become uh, uh, you know when you hit puberty we have nothing to help uh, young people transfer into this new way of, way of being and talking about it in a way that is affirming to their bodies, that is affirming to their identities. We have, we lose all of that. We have no way to affirm someone in their first sexual experiences and to allow them to process in healthy ways. And so it is rooted in secrecy often and shame. But especially in those formative years, we have lacked the ability to help young people um, and ourselves talk about some of the things that we're talking about today that are so important and so beautiful. So much of it has been laced with secrecy and shame and silence. And I think that especially in these in this time, you know, again, as Rajiv's invited you uh, during Advent and Christmas. Um, what would it look like for us to invite people to talk about in church or in spaces? What was it like to give birth to your child? What was it like to, to have those first experiences? Gather your friends, 
So what was it like to have sex for the first time? Not in a weird, bro-y way, but like like legitimate question um, with open, honest dialogue. I mean, these are the important things that we have failed to talk about clearly. And I think that um, this conversation has just really reminded me of how important these conversations are and how very few spaces there are to actually have them. I love that, Casey. Absolutely. And how Christmas is really, you know, Advent is all about waiting, right? And waiting. Why? So that 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 yearning and that desire grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And then Christmas, Christmas is the moment that it happens. You know, we could, if we wanted to, to um, use a queer lens, we could say that's the climatic moment. That's the climax of the, of the, the whole encounter. The whole experience is, is Christmas with this birth of this child. Yeah. And it, it made me think about some theology that my co-pastoring partner, um, Reverend Elizabeth Griswold, a few years ago, she she gave birth to her second child, and she came back, and her first sermon included some a reframing of of the uh, communion sacrament because she she said in her breastfeeding, which anybody who's out there and has has breastfed a baby. It hurts so bad. Your nipples bleed. It takes so long to get it, it, and it's like such a process to to actually feel like you're in a synergetic relationship with this child. Like you're the way the milk comes down, and like when the baby starts crying, you feel the milk come down, and then you need to get to your baby immediately so that you're not like leaking all over the place, and then. It, you know, the latching, the 24-7 kind of rhythm to it. It's just an intense experience. And so when she said the words, this is my body broken for you, she almost couldn't finish that sentence because that's exactly what it feels like when you're a breastfeeding mother. This is my body broken for you to this like helpless, hungry infant who came from your body and now is nourished by your body. I mean, there's there's theology in that. There's like so much theology in the the experience of of um birthing and and nourishing a newborn child. You rarely read theologies around any of that. Even though it's I think in many ways, at least as far as a Christmas story goes, it's intended to be the crux of the Christian message. Right. And I would imagine for so many women out there, all it needs to be is spoken. And then that opens a floodgate for people. Like, I mean, obviously, I I never breastfed, but, you know, I every step of the way alongside my wife and, you know, she she's a small frame and she was carrying two children. And then the, you know, the watch, you know, as you're talking about that, Bonnie, I just remember like late nights waking up in the middle of the night and, you know, her balancing both kids and trying to just like do. (laughs) So it was never like, ah, you know, at least I have this side to work on, but it was just, it was constant. It was this real never ending. And I, I know again, 
I don't understand, but I did get tired just, <laughs> just watching, just like, how could, what could I do? I don't know, you know, how, how to help. And I know that, um, that's such a, I, I only can imagine that that's such a powerful thing that if during that process she had heard Christmas framed like that, how, I don't know, maybe a, a moment of relief that would be. Or even affirmation. I can't imagine. I imagine that there's many people out there just thinking that. But, oh, no, that's silly because, you know, I've never heard it before. Well, when you're breastfeeding, you know, in public, you're told to, like, there's a room for that or go cover up or whatever. Um, it's been sexualized. It's sexualized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. And, I mean, just to to get even more fleshy, just the, the whole fluids. <laughs> You know, like Mm -hmm. breast milk is a life-giving fluid. And, you know, mothers who are nursing, if they do leak, you know, like in the workplace or at the mall or whatever, it's like this, ah, let's, you know, hide the fact that, you know, the the nectar of life is oozing from my bosoms. It's like, uh, we should all be like, wow. You know, it should be a moment of awe and reverence and respect rather than something that we expect folks to run to the restroom and cover up like it's not happening somehow. And and even, you know, Bonnie, you talked about menstruation. Even, you know, that blood is holy blood. It is because of that blood we all exist. And, I mean, the, the fact that we, you know, treat it like some sort of, uh, like, disease, plague that's upon us, it, it's so messed up. How did we – how did we – get here and you know talking about the biblical narrative when i try to look at the biblical narrative with fresh eyes it treats it really does treat all of this as holy we we just through our whatever have turned it into something that's impure we've done that with so many things well i mean i think that's a that's a that's a solid uh starting place for hopefully an ongoing conversation for those of you listening uh, during the holidays and I'll bring this up at the dinner table, see how people respond. These are, these are worthy conversations. And I think that if, if those of you who are in ministry or a part of a church that are listening to this, I think your church needs a voice that says, Hey, you know, what about this lens? What about this view of where we're at? And if you're not, that's fine too. Hopefully we can help start the reframing process. And when we talk about the holiday season, I, I mean, we've had some good, if I don't say so myself, <laughs> some good uh, holiday episodes. But man, I think this conversation is one for the books to really remember and keep in mind as kind of we move forward through the season and and recognizing that there's there's a place in the story mm-hmm. for everyone. And there's some powerful feminine icons around Christmas that I would, you know, maybe there's a way we can somehow share some of that with our listeners. Like there's some, there's some beautiful pictures from the middle ages of like Mary's breast milk squirting into the mouths of the apostles. You know, these, these are things that, that um, somehow throughout time, like they're not okay. They're that should be in the bad section or whatever, but uh, there's imagery and iconography that's available to us to help us reframe these stories, I think. And we can maybe share that somehow. Kind of off the the cuff as we're, we're talking about this. I mean, if, uh, 
you know, Bonnie, you have some particular in mind. Maybe we can do something on our uh, right now. Facebook and Instagram are probably our primary things that we can do, like a like an advent calendar, a feminine Love views that. throughout the month of December, yes. and just kind of put that out yes. there. Uh, so, so yeah, if you're listening, if you're listening to this, it's already past the first of December, but you know, go to our Instagram and Facebook pages and we will, uh, we will, we'll share is image a day. Is that too much? Or should we do like, now I have no? a whole folder oh. of images. Okay, so. perfect. All right. Then we're going to, we're, we're doing it right now. Image a day through December to, uh, to honor the feminine during this Advent season. And, uh, so, so follow us there, Facebook and Instagram. You can check in the show notes at redcast.com slash 192, where we'll have all that. Uh, before we get into our segment, any other final thoughts on this particular subject before we move on? Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you all. I mean, really, like um, <laughs> Jeff was saying, what, am I, what do I do? You know, like y- there's not a lot for men to do when it comes to the actual creation of humanity, but change the diapers, make the food take care of, you know, there's like, there's a lot to do, but, but there's something about, um, mother and child that needs to, I think, remain the center point, at least for the times that we live in, in this story. Right. But I mean, Bonnie, as you say that that's a sacrament for men, like our culture expects us to do, to accomplish, to take the most important jobs and a moment for us to step outside of that. I mean, that's what a sacrament or a ritual is, right? You step outside of the reality you live in for something a little bit more divine. Um, you know, what's more divine than that, than the 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 patriarchy to take the backseat for a little bit? Well, let us know what you think. You can add your voice to this particular conversation by commenting in the show notes at irenacast.com slash 192. In the show notes, you'll find relevant links and a complete list of all the other ways to f- to add your voice to the conversation, including our Facebook and Instagram, where we'll be posting our uh, our our version of an advent calendar, which would be pretty awesome. Uh, so, and if you haven't already, please consider joining our email list. Uh, joining our list is the best way to keep updated on all things Irenicast, including our next intersections that will be taking place Thursdays, February 3rd through March 10th. So please stay tuned to the show and to that email list because we're going to be having some uh, information coming quickly on that. Uh, on how you can get involved in some more description on that. So again, all that information can be found at the link to the show, irenicast.com slash 192. Uh, on the other side of the music, we're going to be playing uh, another brand new segment uh, called Yuck or Yum. And uh, we're going <laughs> to we're gonna see who has weird tastes in things and uh, hopefully normalize it. I don't know. Uh, just join us on the other side. We'll see you there. All right, we are on the other side of the music for the debut of Casey's Yuck or Yum, the the segment where we each share something that perhaps the general public might find <laughs> a little displeasing. Only um, if they're stupid. <laughs> yes, only if they're stupid. Uh, and then we are going to hear the thoughts of our other hosts and either you know, plead our case or win over converts for the things that we uh, have adopted into our life that may seem 
strange. Casey, is that an accurate description of what your thoughts were in regarding this Absolutely. segment? Absolutely. All right. All right, then. Um, so uh, we're going to just I'm just looking at the screen in front of me. And uh, Bonnie, we're going to start with you because I said so. Because <laughs> you're in charge. Right. Um, I my probably something that others wouldn't think is that great. And I love it. In fact, I just bought some yesterday because they're having their Black Friday sale early is this grain beverage called Postum. And it's from my Adventist days, my Seventh-day Adventist days, because you're not allowed to drink coffee because of the caffeine. Everybody has this hot drink called Postum. And I like it. It's good. Most people hate it. Where does it come from? Yeah, like what is it? What is it ingredients? see if I can find the link. It comes from... Remember the last episode with the yard leaves? <laughs> and Grant, it's basically where it comes from. Are you yucking her yum? You're, you're, uh, you're a yucker in this, uh, in this occasion? I'm neutral. I'm, I'm hardcore neutral on Postum. Okay, so I put, it, I put the, um, the website in the, in the chat, and I'm curious to see what you all think of it. When okay, you... First ever blind reactions for yeah. the... The, okay, so I click the link, post them, <laughs> worry-free. Three simple natural ingredients can put your mind at ease. Roasted wheat bran, wheat, and molasses. It's so good. So it, it's just blended up raisin bran or something? <laughs> yeah, kind like of. that. <laughs> it makes a delicious coffee replacement. Do you see that? No preservatives, no caffeine, okay. no GMOs. Okay. Relax all right, for the custom right, post right. him any time of day. Bonnie, I, I, I mean... <laughs> I get it. Like someone can like something and, you know, this, you know, blended up wheat drinker or whatever. But to say, to to have the audacity to say you can replace your coffee with it is horribly offensive to me. Um, they, they, you know, they have decaf, right? Does it, did they, do the, do the, do the Adventists know this, that, 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 that exists? Or are they just fine this, with blending up wheat and drinking this, it? This should be in the packet, the post- heart surgery packet for people where the doctors are like, no more caffeine for you. Your heart is very caffeine sensitive. But here I have this gift for you Okay, to add to your medication regimen. Just to give more fuel to this fire, I prefer Postum over coffee. Wow. So... So when you Take when you get your next you when will. you get your next shipment, mm-hmm. uh, we should all come over for a cup of postum. You can't that? as long as you don't. If you're going to say bad things about it, then I'm not going <laughs> to give it to you. <laughs> I will. I will definitely say bad things about you it. Like the even picture, tried I'm looking it. at this website. I don't. The picture is just wheat fields. <laughs> that is not like ooh, that quenches my thirst. Hey, That's hey, what I want in the morning. I I challenge oh, our listeners goodness. to try a delicious cup of postum and then see what they think. Really, right. and I bet they'll be on my side. And and again, pointing well. to our last episode again, this is true love, folks. <laughs> Someone who prefers postum to coffee. <laughs> I love them. Uh, Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! All right, well, y- yes, in in all love, I am I am officially yucking your yum. I I disagree. I am I am and, I'm you know, neutral until uh, until you try it. That's right. That's well, the appropriate stance. Thank you, Casey. I know I could back, count Casey. on you. <laughs> 
I'm judging this book by its cover, and it is nasty. <laughs> it's pretty bad. All right. We'll, we'll all have a cup of Heston. Maybe if we, yeah, next time we get, meet together. All right. I'll, I'll give okay. it a try. But I have mocha post. I'm not promising. That's all I have left till my next shipment gets here. But. <laughs> Hold on. You have chocolate has caffeine, so it defeats the oh, whole it's, purpose. It's not chocolate. <laughs> what is it made of? You can't call it no, mocha if it's sure not chocolate. It chocolate. Let me see. All I know is it tastes it, good. It, it's, no, it doesn't. It's postum cocoa. Right. Postum cocoa. Wait, so <laughs> there's I'm coffee sorry. flavor, there's postum cocoa, and then there's original flavor. And I always okay, get there... at least one or two of each once a year, and it lasts me for an entire year. There's coffee flavored mm-hmm. postum to replace <laughs> yes. coffee. It's delicious. That sounds like okay. We should probably move on because I'm <laughs> I'm getting old. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff's like coming on blue. <laughs> You wanted, you wanted. Oh, goodness. Let's, yeah, let's move on. No, this is a great segment. This is a great segment. Bonnie, I, I mean, we're on the same page on so many things, and I love and respect your opinion on so many things. So uh, I challenge you to but try this. This is not one Jeff. of them. You might change I'm your gonna mind. Try. I'm going to try it. Mind. You might like it. And then you can drink it late at night. I, I can't guarantee the open will. We, I'll try. We it. will post a video to our social media channels right. when this happens. Yes. <laughs> okay, we'll that we'll go good. live. All right. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> Rajiv, wait. First of all, every, as ever, so we have two neutrals and one yuck. Is that how we're we're judging this? But as we move on, Rajiv, just, you you're it, kind it, of a flip flopper on it, this. Because... It just doesn't taste like anything. I mean, it, it tastes like dirt. <laughs> right, he said neutral to so start. That, now he's saying yuck. Yeah, I mean, it tastes like dirt. But okay, I mean, so know, two yucks and one neutral. Dirt, dirt's we do not need that to bad. Move on. Dirt's <laughs> not that bad. You know what's what's doing, your your if you've ever played me or whoever? Yeah, yours. You're next. So I'm going to set this up a little bit. All of us have had peanut. I love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Love them. Peanut butter on pizza. No. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't. This isn't the segment on blasphemy. (laughs) Um. And we've all like crunched chips, right? Why did you take mine? Right. Go ahead. We've all crunched chips. Okay. I'm. I'm not taking yours. I'm going a step further. So growing up as a kid in in Tamil Nadu, which is where my mom's from, there are these small fish that you know get deep fried in in some seasoned oil, and you add them to a rice dish or whatever. And but you know we'd have like these pots full of them, these dried fried fish. In, in the U.S., we would get smelts. I don't know if that's what we got in India, but they're called smelts. Delicious, salty, crunchy, a little fishy. And I would take those and put them in my peanut butter sand jelly sandwiches rather than potato chips. And it's like next level scrumptiousness. Because, again, you get the salty, crunchy thing in there, plus you get a little bit of that fleshy fish. Ugh, so good. Okay, so here's the deal. <laughs> like, I am not a fish person. Mm. at all but because i do i'm down with that crunchiness of of the chips and the pb and j i would be at least intrigued to try so i'll give it a yum all right i gotta find some okay 
And I'll ask my mom how to fry them up, what to put in the oil. See, I would rather wait till your mom's here because I don't trust you to do this. Okay, uh, she's coming in uh, February. Yeah, I'd rather I'd rather wait. All right. I can't think of anything more disgusting. I'd, I'd rather wait. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. I don't want to try any. I don't even want, want to be in the room when you make it. That's I'm fine. glad I didn't know that about you until now. <laughs> that might have been a deal breaker, if apparently. If, that sounds if, so gross. We're, we're not going to miss you while we're frying our smelts. <laughs> you go somewhere else. So uh, clearly I'm a yuck. I, I'm, I'm of two minds. Like I, the flavor profile sounds good to me. Like those are all things that are in, you know, Thai food. You have you have a peanut sauce. You have uh you know fish sauce. You have different all that stuff and and the sweetness of the jelly. I get all that. My only hang up is the crunch. I don't get crunchy peanut butter for a reason, not what? because it's the different what? taste. Because <laughs> it's I don't want crunch in my peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Serious? Yeah, you got what? Wait, you're crunchy. Yes. Peanut I am not crunchy. Oh, I am smooth wow. all the way, 100%. Well, hang on, before I go into more criticism, do you have like dental issues that <laughs> where your gums are sensitive and it's painful to no. have crunchy peanut butter? No, I do not. So it's not a health things. condition. <laughs> why would I want like why would I want something half done? That's not like, no. smooth out the peanut butter or don't do oh it. If God. I want peanuts, I'll have peanuts. Smooth out the peanut butter or don't I'd, do I'd, it. A smooth peanut butter person, but the texture issue is not enough to make me say yuck for this particular scenario. So I will say, I will go with the yum. All right, all right. Wow. So I my, feel like we're learning a lot when, from when each my other. when my mom comes over in February. We'll we'll find some smelts or similar fish and we'll do it up. And then you're going to be like Bonnie, get me that postum, please, quick. <laughs> <laughs> to wash, wash it, it down, down with the postum. <laughs> I feel like we should actually, we really should actually do it all oh, the no. same day. We should. But apparently I I need to bring some smooth peanut butter because I'm not going to get the good stuff. Man, don't bring that peanut butter with chemicals yeah, in there. Bring whatever peanut butter just, you want. Just, what do you mean with just chemicals? Just peanuts and salt. That's it. What? Yeah. No. Wait, you're not the one. You don't buy that stuff with the oil yes. on top. And you have to like stir. Yes. Oh, my God. See, That's I draw the, the good line. Stuff. I draw the line. That's the good stuff. That's just. Creamy, you skippy. you buy the stuff that you know is in a bunker somewhere waiting for a <laughs> nuclear war. Skippy's my brand. Creamy, it's delicious. I don't want to mix. I don't want to do work. It's all done for you, and it's smooth and man, delicious. Skippy's a dessert. <laughs> yes, exactly. Why would I? Why? I don't. I don't want some like. <laughs> I'm, I almost would rather drink your your postum drink there than have that All right, bring, nasty old. Bring your own damn peanut butter. I will. This is good to know because now I know if we ever have a peanut butter jelly sandwich party, I'll bring my own. Oh my goodness. Okay, um, Casey, you're up. What's your okay? What's your well, so the the issue is now that I because I was going to go with peanut butter and jelly and Doritos. Mm. Um, but because we already sort of did a PB and J thing, I will go with in my house, there's another person who lives here who loves everything to be heated, you know, if we're going to have leftovers, but there is something that I refuse. Oh, this is it. 
There is some there is uh something that I refuse to reheat that I love to eat cold as leftovers, and that is spaghetti. I love cold spaghetti, and then I like to top it with cream of corn. Oh, you crossed the line there, man. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> what is that? That's some Appalachian creation right there. <laughs> no offense to anybody from Appalachia. Um, <clears throat> creamed corn on cold spaghetti? Oh, it is delightful. With with this tomato sauce or just the pasta? Yeah, it's, it's like, uh, you know... I have the, well, normally I'll just throw my sauce and my pasta together, Mm -hmm. you know, and and put it in the Tupperware. And then Mm -hmm. when I'm ready to have it again, I'll just throw it in a bowl, get that cream of corn out. And even if it's warm, like if the spaghetti's warm, I'll still have it with cream of corn. Uh, But yeah, that's, that's how I like to have spaghetti, cold or warm. All right. We're going to have to have this yuck or yum party for real. (laughs) Cause I'm, I'm like, I'm intrigued. I think it sounds delicious. I'm intrigued. I, I'm, a, I'm a yum. I want to try that now. Yeah, I'm going to have to hold off on judgment. I mean, the cold, hot, I, I'm kind of like, you know, I might actually dig it hot. It's the cold piece that I'm a little like, I don't know. You had me at like cold pasta. I, I prefer to heat it up, but that's not gross to me. Like I'll still eat it if it's a little cold in the center and I didn't microwave it enough or whatever. That's fine. But then you follow up with the cream corn thing. Like you just, <laughs> I need some clarification on this process. So you have your your spaghetti in the fridge. You take out the Tupperware container. You start to eat it and you're like, oh, wait, this, this needs, needs something. something. So you go, <laughs> so you go do the to the pantry and you're looking and you're like, huh, well, I have no, some cream corn. Not a huh. And then you just it's a where is the cream of corn? And then I So you just bust open the can. Put some cream of corn on and there. And pour it on. Also cold. Yeah, you don't heat that right. up. It's Why just straight you? from the can. And okay, you... uh, oh, hold up. How did this start? Did somebody do this to you as a child? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. And, and so you grew up with that's this. That's right, that's right. A little Parmesan cheese. This, this wasn't Kraft you. Parmesan cheese. Yeah. This wasn't you deciding, like, as an independent person in your own place. Like, I would like to make a delicacy. Okay. The fact that you grew up with, there's somebody else to blame. That's it. Hey, this is a yum, man. And then this you grew up loving it. That's that's awesome. All right, all right. So I got a suggestion. When we do our yuck or yum party, I think we should have a cold version of this. Yes. I think we should do a Jeff version, which is a microwave. Heat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually like to heat leftover pasta in the oven oh, because then you get a little bit of that crispy texture sure. and parts crunch. of it yeah. to, crunch you like to so do much. some of that. So yep. we'll, we'll do three versions of it. I love that. Well, well, let's be clear. The the Jeff version is not microwaving. The Jeff version is I will make some fresh pasta and I will <laughs> I will toss it in some homemade tomato sauce and I will like I will. How about some homemade together, cream but... corn? That would be delicious. <laughs> that would be delicious. Do that as well. Why don't you just use the Skippy version of pasta sauce? <laughs> <laughs> Ragu. Oh, I wish everybody could see Jeff's face right now. <laughs> it's okay, Rajiv. It's okay. I can't... The war has just begun. <laughs> we, we just... Pizza and peanut butter. It's good to know that we are... Uh... <laughs> All right. Well, I, I feel like this is that this is going to be a little bit anticlimactic because uh, my thing, and it's because it's the only thing that pops out when it's a yuck or yum. The thing that I get criticized the most for within my circle is I 
will 100% of the time take black licorice oh, over any other kind God. of licorice. I love it. Really? Yeah. I'm with you. Yum all the way. Gross. I love black licorice. Thank you, Bonnie. In fact, I, oh it's man, so I want good. some right now. I mean, that that is licorice, right? The the, the well, red yeah, stuff is it's you know it's red like but colloquial it, like we we all like yeah but I'm a Twizzlers guy I like oh. Twizzlers I don't like red okay. vines I definitely don't like black licorice or licorice I, I like me some Twizzlers so I'm going yuck just straight yuck. up yuck yuck I feel like I, I I this is this was a very anticlimactic it's just black licorice it's just boring. Trying to think of some other weird combinations. That Do you I like it? Put like some, put really some cream strong, corn on there. Really strong black licorice? Because there's various oh, yeah. kinds. You know, there's like the really sugary kind, and then there's like that very licorice tasting black licorice. There you go. Get get the oh. kind with the big hole in the middle. Either way, cut off the ends and sip cream corn through your black <laughs> licorice. That sounds <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> Although that's why I prefer the Red Vine brand of black licorice because you can turn it into yeah. a straw. You can't do that with Twizzlers. Yes, you can. So the no, you can't. It's solid. No. Twizzlers are solid. No, no, no. just yes. the inside. You don't know Twizzlers. Twizzlers are solid. Look it up. If I'm wrong, I will. I will. I don't buy, know. You will have to buy him ten <laughs> packs of Twizzlers. That's right. I will buy you a pack of Twizzlers if you think that Twizzlers are hollow because they are not. Well, while that. you're looking it up, <laughs> I don't think you do. You eat that much licorice? Twizzler twists are made by pushing a delicious blend of ingredients through a special rotating nozzle, giving the candy its iconic twist and drumroll, please, a hollow center. <laughs> do they have hollow center? Yes. Am I wrong, like, dude? Have, I'm, I'm, I'm a Twizzlers guy. I know this. I apologize. Okay. You're right. I I, I, right. I stand I, I corrected. I accept your apology, Jeff. <laughs> All right, I'm I'm glad you accept it, and uh, as a result of that, nothing changes except for <laughs> our mutual respect for one another continues. I, yeah, and I'd like to add you <laughs> sipping cream corn through black licorice <laughs> to our yuck yum episode. Well, or make a fork out of black licorice and eat spaghetti. And <laughs> All right, sorry for. <laughs> ruining the party with something simple as black licorice but it's delicious um, any other honorable mentions any other nasty things y'all do that we should be aware of before we continue to work together <laughs> I, Bonnie All I right, thought you were well, going to talk about your hippie dust what hippie dust what is this a party that we're invited to or <laughs> Let's say, I don't, what do you want me to do with that? <laughs> it's been called hippie dust by Sela or something. I put nutritional yeast on popcorn. Oh, that's yeah, fine. It's delicious. And everybody around me is like, oh, it stinks. It's your hippie dust. They, th whatever. Cause they, I don't know. I'll probably, if we go to the movie and I get popcorn, I'll bring some with me in my bag. She does in a little Ziploc. Yep. <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong. Keep with your that. mask on. It's it stinks. <laughs> I, I was hoping for something it more. Stink when you said worse hippie dust. Than 
peanut butter fish sandwiches. That's all I have to say. The smell of that in and of itself is enough to make me throw up. I'll give you that. All right. Well, (laughs) with all that being said, that will do it for us this week. If you enjoy Irenacast and would like to join the work that we are doing, please consider donating to our PayPal link at irenacast.com slash PayPal. We're committed to keeping the show for free for listeners, but there are costs involved and your financial support helps. That's irenacast.com slash PayPal. Irenacast is also a nonprofit organization, so your ta- your so your donations are tax deductible. You can always also support the show by simply making sure you follow the show on whatever podcasting platform you are listening on. And if it allows it, please leave a rating and review. We'd love to hear from you. So for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm Bonnie. I'm Casey. And this is Rajiv. Thanks for joining the conversation. Thanks for joining the conversation.